BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey friends, as you all know, the presidential election is coming up November 3rd. If you haven't yet registered to vote, my favorite resource for all voting questions is IWillVote.com. There you can check your registration, request an absentee ballot, apply to vote by mail, or vote from abroad. With so much at risk this election, it's imperative that we make sure our voices are heard. And I'm so hopeful that everyone in this community shows up this election to make change. Now let's get to the show. Hey everyone, my name's Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and the host of Friend of a Friend, a show where we sit down with some of my friends, your friends, and new friends to host inspiring conversations about building something from the ground up. Every first Monday of the month, my best friend, Joe Holder, joins me on the show for a co-hosted episode where we talk about everything from friendship to work, projects we're working on, advice, wellness, and more. Our topic this week is process. How did you figure yours out? And how does it define the work that you do? Joe and I walk through how we've begun to understand what works for us, how processes contribute to our personal and professional lives, and how it comes into play when we're working together. We also recap last week's presidential debate and answer some of your questions submitted via Instagram. Here's my friend, Joe Holder. Oh, we're bringing, we're bringing snacks to the show now. Nah, I just needed to we get eat, it out the we way. We bring snacks in the show. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't blame you. It's like going to the movies, you know? Popcorn, in your case, vegetables. Never brought vegetables to the movies. What movie snacks do you eat? I'm not a snacker. For me, I need to force myself actually to eat. I don't really, I mean, I like the experience of food, but I'm not one of those people that are always like, when people ask me for snacks, I'm like, I can't, I just think snacks are smaller meals. So I can't, I'm not, I'm a bad person to talk to about snacks. Like, oh, what can I eat to snack? Like snacking is like a marketing ploy. Like packaged goods, like no, like snacks are just smaller meals. <laughs> so like no raisinets, no M&Ms in the popcorn. <laughs> nah, I'm good. Nothing? I'm there for the movie and hopefully a shorty. Hopefully I got a shorty with me, you know? Okay, Joe, welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you doing this week? I'm all right, I guess. Hanging in. How are you? Honestly, I've been off Twitter for about six days now and I watched The Social Dilemma last week, which like it's nothing I didn't already know. Like, yep, there's an algorithm and like, yep, there's people watching our every move and mining our data and things like that. But I think what really struck me about that was the part where they were talking about how the algorithm and like the people you follow and things you surround yourself with can literally change your thoughts and form your thoughts. And that really freaked me out because I feel like I found myself in so many moments in the past four months, just like being a parrot of like things I've heard on Twitter or like not giving myself a day to even like digest something and actually think about it for myself. 
So being off of it during the debate last night was an interesting experience. Let's dive in. Let's talk about last night. What'd you think? I mean, it was crazy. It was too, basically what happened was if you go back, I think if you go back and watch the old debates, Biden and the team studied the old debates and realized that you have to meet Trump with chaos because Trump is actually a better debater than people realize. And if you look at the way he debated last year, and if you look at even the way that people who prepped with Hillary acted like Trump, they were like, they realized that the reason why it looks so crazy when Trump debates is because he's not a He's not a good person. He's like, he has a slight hint of something's off. And oftentimes something has to be off for you to be wildly successful, even if technically he's unsuccessful. Maybe he's a bit of a sociopath, a narcissist, all that stuff. But the substance of Trump's debate style oftentimes flummoxes candidates. And I think Politico actually had a really good article on this, but I think Biden came out with a strategy and he said, I'm going to be a truth teller and I'm going to be a little bit, I'm going to have some sort of bravado slightly to try to meet Trump's and see what happens. I'm going to call him out on his shit and I'm going to talk shit, which nobody has been willing to do with Trump. And also what they haven't been willing to do or haven't realized they could do is Trump now has a track record. Last year, Trump had no track record in politics. So he could talk in hypotheticals. He could talk in what ifs. And now since he has a track record, he could be called out on his track record, which also flummoxes him. So there was a few times during the debate where he struggled with answers, he realized he couldn't really talk. He had to bring up, like, you know, Joe Biden's son's drug habit problem, which Biden actually handled pretty it's well. so low. Yeah, it is. But come on. It, it is. But that, like, that's what you expect. But I think Biden should have honestly handled the question. He should have honestly handled the question about his other son and in the in in same son and the, and the money and, the, and all that stuff. Because there was an investigation into that, and he didn't. And there is something weird there. It's definitely not as bad as Trump's dealings, but there is a red flag there. So it's like, just openly air shit out. Just openly, like, admit it. In the same way Trump's like, oh, I don't want to pay taxes. You know, Biden and the team should figure out a way to talk about that before it becomes, like, some weird conspiracy theory, which it already is. So, yeah, I mean, Biden, basically, I think the first, it was like a boxing match where the first one, you just set the tone that it's going to be chaotic. And the American people are going to realize that it's chaotic. It's not presidential, but we no longer exist in a presidential society. So whatever. We never did. I think that's what was throwing me off the most. Like, I was like, this is insane. Like, he was like, man, will you just please shut up? I was like, what just happened? I was like eating dinner at the same time. And I literally think I stood up and like leaned over and looked at the TV. And I was like, did someone just say that in a presidential debate? Some say, and I'm not going to generalize here, but what's very interesting is that some say, you know, white middle class voters love slight hysteria, love bravado, as do maybe some swing voters of different ethnicities. Trump got more of a black vote than people realize, at least black male vote, because Trump, that 80s, 90s opulence, bravado, wealthy, talking shit. You got to realize people like that. So talk shit back. And that's how you get respect on the block. That's how you get respect. You don't get respect by sitting back and let's letting them go and then trying to talk with logic. That's like saying, well, you know, it's like when a kid gets made fun of in school for having lame sneakers and he's like, or whatever, you get made fun of and you're like, well, at least, you know, it's not about looks. It's about the policy. And I do very good in my class. Shoot the dozens, talk shit, and then defeat them back with policy plan and go from there. So I think you got to talk shit. That's how I look at it. You got to talk shit. I know. I was just, I just could, I was not having it last night. I wasn't. I, it was like, Trump kept like interrupting and Chris Wallace was like trying to 
just moderate the whole thing. And it just was so chaotic for me to watch that if I was on the fence, which I am obviously not, I wouldn't, I don't think that debate helped anyone. I think it was an absolute circus. I and I think agree. that's what's so disappointing is like, everybody okay, says that. No, I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't agree. You got people talking about cancer debates, do that. There's a spectacle. It's not what we need. Da, 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 da. It's like, stop, throw out, throw out your frame of reference for what is normal. Throw out the rule book. We had these same discussions four years ago. Throw it out. Go about it in the frame of reference about how the world actually exists. It's chaotic. Politics and oftentimes debates are bare knuckle sports. Historically in debates, whether we go back to Lincoln, whomever, they talk shit. Presidents talk shit. And, and to an extent, we're back at that point, unfortunately. And it isn't the way that it should have been done. But that's not how the, the way that the world exists. There's a new rule book that we have to figure out. And I don't know, progressives need to figure it out. And it's not something you want to see because on the world stage, it's like, damn, they really lost the plot over there. What did you think about the climate change bit? Because you are someone that advocates for climate change and works really closely to clean air. I was really confused when Trump was like, we need the cleanest air and the cleanest water, but then like wouldn't admit that that climate change pretty much existed. So what were your thoughts on it? I was so confused. I mean, it's weird because he has somebody at the head of one of the agencies that's super responsible for the distinct agency name escapes me. I'm sorry, but I think it may be like wildlife preservation or something who is illegally serving. At the same time, he's been the only president in recent history. He's passed the largest conservation bill. And then on the other side, he fucks around and then like doesn't want to admit climate change is real. Doesn't want to admit these certain things. He debates so he doesn't lose, not so he wins. So he's basically not wanting to admit something that he has had his agencies or his agencies have wiped off in terms of language. My thing is, I don't care. Like, who cares if climate change is real or not, if it is real in its implications? But you need to challenge him on as policy and, and weather emergencies. Say, say, all right, let's play the game. Climate change isn't real, but there are weather emergencies going on right now. And there's a situation that there is an impact on clean air, clean water, and toxic waste sites around the country are implicated with a report that your team just released regarding weather emergencies and implication of toxic waste being placed in the communities because there's no plan put in place to handle that. So climate change isn't real. Fine. You think that, but weather emergencies are. Play the game. Like, I don't care about language. I don't care about semantics. I care about policy. We've played too much with politicians on both sides who know how to use language to their advantage, but don't talk about policy. I don't care if you, me personally, I don't care if you miss the climate change. I want to know then if you want the cleanest air and water, what are you doing for that? And what is your policy to deal with the implications of weather emergencies, which are happening consistently across the country? I think what I got frustrated there is he was talking about that with the fires. He was like, oh, we need to clean the forest ground. But like, then why is that not happening? Well, like it just felt like it felt like a kid who was like just putting blame on everything besides being like, okay, we're going to do this. I acknowledge that this is happening. Like, let's talk about what actions are being put in play to fix it. Just to be clear, as people are watching this, if you don't know me, I'm not a Trump supporter. I just like to play devil's advocate and I like to hold all politicians. We know that. Because maybe you got new listeners, right? Okay. Okay. So you look at that, you look at basically that there. If I was being Trump, I would then claim 
even though it is a lot of the times a federal responsibility, you have, quote unquote, people who are Democrats in power who have not had the proper, say, policy put in place to clean the forest grounds, to make sure that there are basically mitigation efforts put into into effect. Because when it was fire, bad fires, but it's really on him because those bad fires happened two or three years ago. There was so many people yelling that you need to have better wildfire mitigation policies put into effect. So it's like, you don't have a policy for weather emergencies. That's a bigger deal. Like I don't, to an extent, yes, climate change is, is very real. There's something happening, but climate change is also, you shouldn't speed it up, but it's also not reversible. It's a natural process that happens with the world. Now humans should not want to expedite that in any way. What is not a natural thing is the impact that weather has on our human existence, establishment, and living spaces. So challenging him and his team to come up, I think, with better strategies for that. He talks in coded language, accept it. Like, so I don't I don't care about the the I don't I don't care about that anymore. I think it's distasteful. I think it's wrong and, and needed with disdain. But at the time, challenge him basically talk shit and challenge him on policies talk shit challenge him on policies and if the policies are his and his team and you're also talking shit you basically what you do you make a unit you castrate him for lack of a better term sorry to be graphic but that's what happened because we're too much get out of the semantics game like we're too caught in that that's the issue we think too much with logic do you think that biden's too soft I think yesterday he showed a sharper side. I just don't think he's that sharp. He's not soft. He's just like a he's like the, he's like a working class real G. I mean, he's been in the political game for a very long time because I think he actually does care about people, but also has gotten caught up in politics. I've had so many people of like you know maybe three to- high topics from yesterday. One of them was why did Biden post a photo of Jenny's ice cream on his Instagram before the debate? Jenny's ice cream. I didn't see that. Who's Jenny? Yeah, he posted a photo. You don't know Jenny's ice cream? Oh. Listeners, please just do me a favor. Help help go out here. But like before his date, before his, his before date. The date, he was like, he posted a photo. His date, his date with Trump. They went on a cute date last night. <laughs> before the debate last night, he posted a photo of plug-in headphones, not even like AirPods, and Jenny's ice cream. And he was like, I've got my earpiece ready to go. And like my performance enhancers ready. And it was literally just a photo of he- headphones and Jenny's ice cream. I mean, and people were like, is this, is this him trying to be humanizing in a yeah, way? Or so. like, is this just like totally fucking everybody up? No, because he, there was a talk from the Trump campaign that he takes Adderall and wears an airpiece. And I think he's just trying to fuck, right. he's trying to fuck with him. But like, I don't know, maybe it landed a little flat, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> People were like, do you know if Joe Biden got paid for that? And I was like, why would I know that? Why would Biden I know that? got paid. I doubt it. Joe is hypervolting himself in the middle of this <laughs> podcast episode. My, my poor producer right now <laughs> is going to be like, what is that sound? Can't hear it. Bear with us, guys. Bear with us. We'll be right back after the break. If there's anything that we talk about often on this podcast, it's that taking care of yourself is number one especially when it comes to our skin. Whether you're worried about dullness, redness, fine lines, or acne, trying to find the right treatment can be really frustrating, especially in these times. It's been a huge challenge for me in COVID, whether it's breaking out from my mask or not even feeling safe enough to visit a dermatologist and get it taken care of professionally. Now there's a simpler, smarter solution to skincare. Meet Rory, a digital health clinic for women. 
Rory's a sister brand of Roman, and like Roman, they make it simple to connect with a healthcare professional online and see if a personalized prescription skincare treatment is right for you, all from the comfort of your own home. Go on your phone or computer and complete a free online consultation, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed healthcare professional within 24 hours. If appropriate, they'll prescribe a personalized skincare treatment plan that works just for you and your skin. With Rory, you don't even have to go to a pharmacy. Your custom skincare is delivered right to you with free two-day shipping. You can also follow up with a healthcare professional anytime if you need to make a change to your treatment or have questions. They're there with you every step of the way on your skincare journey. With Rory, there are also no commitments and you can cancel at any time. Go to hellorory.com backslash friend to try out their nightly defense treatment plan for just $5. It's free to chat with a doctor and your first order is only $5. That's hellorory.com, H-E-L-L-O-R-O-R-Y.com backslash friend. Eligibility requirements and additional terms apply. Hi, I'm Maddie Orlando, and this is my sister, Lauren. Hi. We have an eight-year age gap. So we don't always agree on everything, but at least we have different perspectives. On this podcast, we discuss basically anything you would talk about with your own sister. So, welcome to our fam. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the Proud Boys moment, because that was, to me, the low of the low of the whole night. It's what you got to realize about Trump, man. He plays to win. It's fucked up, uh, especially white supremacy and its history in this country and him not wanting to act like it exists. Him playing to his base and him with these constant dog whistles telling them to stand by, stand down and stand by. I think a lot of people who watched the debate or seized it in context, people who are his supporters, you know, even Tim Scott, the black Republican, was like, I don't think he meant to say that, but if you ask him again and he doesn't denounce them, then maybe he did mean it. I think the reporters have to press him on that and keep to ask him again. So we don't confuse you on your words. Did you do, do you denounce white supremacy? Keep pressing him because there's even a window is super small. There's still a window on what he said. So it's on the press, which you know is supposed to keep everything in check. Keep pressing him, literally. Keep pressing him and make him either open. Well, I felt like it was there last night. Like they were like Biden was like say it, say yeah. it, and he just did it. Yeah, so keep pressing. It was, him. I was like, press. That's it. it was disgusting. Like it was absolutely disgusting. And it's it's sad that he he wants power. And he has to pay his bills that bad. But I don't think it's that hard to denounce white supremacy because you win every you win any way. The Proud Boys don't even believe, don't even believe they're a white supremacist group. So if you denounce white supremacy, they're not going to think you denounce them. And then also, if you denounce white supremacy. White supremacists are just going to think you're playing the game, so but you're not actually going to do anything to mitigate white supremacy. So, but at the end of the day, you can't even, as even as just a PR stunt, denounce white supremacy. It's like, what's wrong with you? What would you say to somebody who's on the fence right now? If you're, it depends on why you're on the fence. I would say if you're a single issue voter and you're on the fence because you don't really care about anything else besides one thing, I would implore you to expand your reach, even if it is, I guess in a connection to your faith while you vote the way that you vote to understand the other implications surrounding that and understand that there is an aspect, I guess, of forgiveness that you don't bear down on somebody else's decision, but just because you allow it, you know, give unto Caesar what is unto Caesar's, that doesn't mean that you condone it. If you are 
thinking about not voting, please do vote. A lot of people that have looked like me have died in the chance to vote, to take part in the civil process and civil duty. If you are on the fence, do the research and the policy. If you are going to vote for Trump, make a policy decision that's bigger than single voting, single issue. Um, and I would honestly say is that you have to realize that there is a lot that can be done in this world and we've been fed a lot of myths. So if you could do your best to really totally understand that you should vote with the most feeble in mind, you should vote for the individuals in society that don't often have a voice for themselves. You should, you should vote to make their life, their world a little bit better because whether it has to do with religion and your faith, whether it has to do with the culture implication, whether it has to do with your parents told you, a lot of all that is fake. So even yourself, you will be, I think you will be okay, but you will realize that even when you do make, meet your maker, probably ask if you believe in such a thing, you'll probably ask you, what did you do to make the world a better place? And at the end of the day, I think that's the most glorious thing you could possibly do for your deity and not live by bureaucratic religious principles that were put in place by man and not, and not the thing that you worship. But if you're on the fence, please, please go vote. Do it by policy. Go research. Don't do it by feeling. If you're on the fence, don't do it by feeling. Do it by policy. I'm going to shameless plug for two seconds. Um, I did an interview with Simone Sanders. It's live on my Instagram now. We talked just like the tip of the iceberg on some of Biden's policies moving forward and what he would do if he was elected. I've also linked plan of action on my Instagram as well. So go check it out. If you are looking to decide which way to go, I'm going to sway you one way. I want to switch gears a little bit. Joe and I moving forward are going to start to really make these topic based. And today, Joe and I have just started to work on a new project that we're both really excited about and you guys will hear about really soon. But in the spirit of that, I thought it would be really fun for Joe and I to break down process. Joe and I have very different processes in the way that we work, but we have found ways to work together. And creative processes have always been so interesting to me in terms of bringing ideas to life, especially as entrepreneurs. So I want to start with you a little bit at the beginning. The last episode that we did, you said something that has for some reason really stuck in my brain because I think I can like visually picture this image of you. But you were like, when I was a kid, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and like ask my parents for work and like slam my hands on the table and be like, I want more work. Yes. What was the what was that like beginning nature like for you, especially in like discovering your work ethic and like just the beginning elementary phases of like figuring out a process? Yeah, I mean, I realize now it's not that I like work. I like I'm curious. I like challenges. I like I don't even necessarily like structure. I like doing things that don't bring me dread. and that aspect of seeing results, pushing myself in different ways, it brought me some sort of joy. So I realized a lot of, I guess when you're talking about process development, it's understanding the things, I guess, that make me tick, that allow assimilation of information and don't bring me dread. I think it changes with time. I'm still figuring it out. I mean, as a young kid, I realized certain ways that I've studied work for me and don't work for other people. For me, how I did it, I would read to myself, flashcards would work. I would talk out loud, I would walk, I would pace. I would take, I would study real hard, take a nap, get up and study again. I didn't realize until later that those were research ways to expedite learning. I just figured that out on myself. Now I mix it, I research ways, see if they work or don't work. I try my own work, see what the research is backing, maybe shift it a little bit. So I think from a young age, I just really uh, naturally gravitated towards learning processes. Um, that were research back, which is really weird, I guess, as a young kid. Um, but I've always been curious. I've always liked learning. I've always liked 
yeah, I just always like learning. That's what I like to do. I don't like work. I think work, I think like work in the adult sense is lack of a better term is stupid. Like I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. I don't think that's what the human existence is about, but I like learning and I like curiosity. I, I despise ignorance. I can't stand that. It's so interesting to hear you say that you paced and like walked around and that movement was a part of your process because that just makes a lot of sense <laughs> in who you are now. Because when I used to study as a kid, like I would just sit down and sit there for like five hours until I needed to like do something else. That's so interesting. Yeah, I would like walk laps around my living room and talk to myself, repeat, go do something else or explain it to myself in a different way. That's how I went about it. So yeah, I guess I was making a movement a movement from a very young age exercise thing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so cool. Were you that way in college too? College, I was a little bit of a hustler. Like I knew how to like get around that system. That's the best thing that Penn taught me. It was like I knew. I knew. I knew about to fall over in my chair. I knew what to push when to pull when to take a step back, what I could get away with. That's life. Yeah. But I was the same way. Totally. I would like you know, I would hold myself. I didn't have a computer in my first two years. Wow. I would hold myself up in a computer lab when I had to do my work. And I'd just be in there for hours. It would be like my house. I would paper strewn everywhere. I'd just be working. I'd go up to my dorm room, take a nap, come back down, keep working. So I've always had the ability to do sprints, basically hard sprints of work while still understanding the base things of the class to take away with me. I think that is why a little bit I'm, a, I'm an expert generalist. I could dive in. I could synthesize information very well. I could dive into multiple areas at once. I could still make it make sense. Um, but I guess this whole concept of the process has taught me that it's, it's ever-changing. It's everlasting. You have some weak points. You have some strong points. But you really have to devise something that works for you and how it connects to the goals that you personally have. Yeah, I feel like I'm not going to speak for you. But like as your friend that kind of watches you go through your own process, like Everything you're saying right now speaks to you being this like master ideator. And it's all about ideas and bringing them together and making connections. Whereas like for me, I feel like this makes a lot of sense for the way I work now. Like I used to be that person that would like make the really beautiful, perfect study guides and like write everything, (laughs) like write everything in like a notebook if I was reading it and take notes that way. But I had such a hard time then, you know, having them click in my brain and having it become real knowledge. Like, I think for me, my process in school was like very much indicative of who I am today, where it's like, I am, I can be an ideator if I'm talking to the right person. Like, I think you and I have had amazing brainstorms. And that's why, like, I love to have creative friends around me that like push me out of my comfort zone. But like, I'm very much an executor. Like, I'll do the notes, I'll do the next steps, I'll, I'll get the things done. But when it comes to really bringing something to life. Like I always, I don't outsource that, but I think it's important for people to like acknowledge what they're good at. And then of course go out and bring someone else in that is probably better at the other side of it. Yeah. I think a big part of my process now is outsourcing. I realize that I am an ideator. There's a really good piece in this HBR book about, about how to manage yourself. Oh, it was you that first got me into those HBR books. Oh my God. I, you know, yeah, I, I, I took it from your apartment. No, you didn't forget it. I took it. <laughs> Wait, but you were the one apartment. that you were the one that first told me about them, and I bought them. The Harvard yeah, Business Review has I, an amazing collection of like very specific processes, like that you can get through in life, whether it's like strategizing or finances or 
I forget what the other ones were, but they were great. I'm glad to know that you took them. Thank you. What is about Man in Yourself by Peter Drucker? He's basically like people spend way too much time trying to figure out. They don't understand how they work. So I understand your process. But yeah, I think a lot of people, when we talk about process, what it really means is like understanding and how you manage yourself. So if you understand how you manage yourself by giving yourself both feedback analysis, which is trying something, understanding if it leads to the outcome that you wish, how you feel while doing it, while also understanding how you work. Uh, Peter Drucker, who is a little bit polarizing in the world of management, but is definitely an icon in it, has a really good essay called um, Managing Oneself. Super good, strong essay that I suggest everybody reads, but it's really find your process and then find your process, how you work, how you live, how you experience joy, how you find, you know, how you experience movement, how you experience mental health, all that stuff is like, Take time to develop your process. What works for you might not work for everyone. So don't do the same things that everybody else does. And, you know, that's how you, I think, have a more fulfilling life. You've worked in a corporate setting. You, you worked for a power bar company before. And now you work on your own. Yeah, hopefully. How did you notice your process changed within those two? I don't like being managed. I don't like it. I like Sorry, a... I don't uh, need to laugh. <laughs> No, no, that's fine. I like, a, I guess, a, a horizontal structure. Like being managed is fine when it provides decent feedback and, and things like that. I think everybody needs to be managed if it is a little bit of a mentorship situation. That's why, you know, some people who talk about management skills really, really do talk about it in a way that is important as like a life skill is one of the most important things that you could do and nobody should hate their boss or manager. But it's definitely been different because there's that while there is more freedom, there is more work responsibilities now. But it's still not tied to, I guess, the same standard typical work structure. But with all that being said, I had to develop my own process. I had to understand how to get things done, how to work, how to itemize uh, responsibilities. And I've, and I've tried a lot of different systems. And I still haven't completely nailed it down. But I've definitely gotten better and don't feel as rushed and harried. And which is good for me because then when I say it out loud to my friends, I guess what I'm working on are the things that I'm doing. They look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, well, how are you doing all this? And then people who spent time around me, like like when I was in Iceland for work, my brother who spent time around me was like, you work on a whole lot of shit. Like I didn't really fully realize this. Like nobody really realizes what it is that I do. But the only way I could get that done, while I'm still learning, there's some days that are better than others, was to develop a process. So especially if you're a freelancer, which is you're not if you're a freelancer, it's a little bit different. So I guess also what I had to realize is the difference between being a freelancer and running a small business, which are two totally different things. And that's what I kind of do is both. And so setting up a process for running a small business and then setting up a process for managing yourself are two different things. And sometimes they make your head spin. But I've been learning when you manage a small business is you're not just, you're not just managing products. You're not just managing distribution. You're, not, you're also managing customer service relationships. So you also just have to take into account the different aspects that are associated with that. One of the big things is manners, is manners and being very clear. So when you're running a small business, you have to manage people who work for you and also manage your customers. If you don't manage your customer relationship, you will fail. When you're managing yourself, it's a little bit different. Your relationship with yourself is a little bit different because you're always constantly in yourself. So you have to basically, I guess, hold yourself to a different standard because most of the time freelancers don't run small businesses. Freelancers just simply work for themselves. So understanding when you work for yourself, what you have to be able to get done, and then understanding the relationship that that has with the companies you might be working with. So having to develop the, I guess, these different thought processes for the time when I'm immersed in these different things have helped me understand like the importance of process and I suppose the difference between all of them. Was it difficult for you to 
trust yourself or like trust your gut in finding that process. Cause that's something that I feel like I had a hard time with that. Like you actually helped me with so much. Cause as a friend, you were kind of like a mirror for me and being like, trust yourself. Like you got this, like what you're doing is on the right path. If you think that it's right for you, do you feel like you had that too? Yeah, because I failed. I failed a lot. Even during quarantine, I had to find a new process. I was like, this is crazy. Right, there was a point where I was like, like waking uh, up at like 11 right. o'clock. I was like waking up at 11 o'clock noon. I'm like, all right, this is I crazy. Don't have I got to figure this out. Like I'm wearing an <laughs> oversized hoodie, like sweatshirt right now. Like I'm still, I'm still in March, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you learn how to trust yourself by failing. You know what the feeling of a true gut instinct is when it will actually work. Sometimes you're on the fence, you're not sure. And then it's like, oh, maybe I should trust myself and see if it works. Sometimes you're like, oh, this is definitely going to work and it doesn't. But oftentimes we just get stuck. We don't move one way or the other because we never experiment to try. And then once something fails, you don't keep doing it. If you know it won't work for you, move on. I use quarantine as an example because one day I was like, all right, I'm going to go to bed every day at 10 o'clock. That didn't work for me. Another time I said, okay, uh, you know, I can't be getting up this sleep whatever. Or I was like, it doesn't matter what time I get up. I can do whatever I want that I want. And I was like, I can't start my day at 11 o'clock. Other times I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. I'm going to knock out some base work that I know will clear my day. I'll go back to sleep and then I'll wake up by 10 ready to start my day. That didn't work. No Basically way. what I had to do was I, re- <laughs> I no. used to be able to do that. I can't. I'm too old. Yeah. Yeah. But you ever talk about gut feeling in my head? I was like, yeah, yeah. But anyway, what I fully realized is I had to start my day slow. I had to wake up between 8 and 8.30, first hour, even hour and a half sometimes totally to me, send a few urgent emails, but not really on my phone, move slow, stretch, meditate. I got, I found my process, but I had to experiment. I failed. I failed a lot. So understanding how to trust your gut is also understanding when you're understanding the mix between intuition and experimentation. And when those start to click, then you could just move. And that, that works for, for a lot of other areas of life as well. I also think, and something that I'm, I've learned a lot about this year in quarantine, but I'm really learning now more than ever, is you have to make space to hear your intuition. If you're constantly mm. on the go and you're constantly jam-packed in your day, you have no time for you to sit down and understand what it means to hear your intuition and like understand what your gut feeling feels like. That, so that's something that I'm I'm really focused on in terms of just I trust myself. I know my process and like I trust my gut. But I think just furthering that and giving myself the space to actually hear my own thoughts and my own intuition. I've been doing that in the morning as well. Like I'm waking up hour ish, no phone to myself, putting on music, putting on a podcast or an audiobook, And just being with myself has like really changed the way that I go into my day. Like I'm 10 times less stressed to begin with because I'm not like immediately being bombarded by my phone, but I'm able to like actually sift through my thoughts and like understand and process what I went through the day before or what I'm about to go into. So that's been a big, big part of my process lately. I mean, I agree. I mean, you've definitely, I think, come to a new comfortable place in quarantine, which is important. And it's this whole experience. But the better you can learn about how you go about your day, I think the more successful you'll become. And not just successful from like a work standpoint, but like just feeling comfortable in yourself. And I know when my process is thrown off, I don't feel as comfortable with myself. Switching gears to our last bit of the show, Q&A submitted by you guys. There's one question that I love that I actually would be so curious to hear your thoughts. How do you network during a pandemic? Uh, like, what does that I mean? 
mean? I mean, I don't. I mean, like I lost friends, friends in COVID. Yeah, I mean, you network, you network with the people you actually want to do real shit with. Like, I'm on the phone with community leaders. I'm on the phone trying to figure stuff out to make the world go round. I think you network by get on your LinkedIn, get on your Twitter, get on your get on your Instagram, reach out to people. Also, reach out to people in the streets. It depends on what you want to do. It depends on what you consider also like networking. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm lucky to have people reach out to me for, to get a lot of stuff done. Yeah. And I'm sure like for you during this time, like you are a huge resource to people. So like, I'm sure it's amazing to have also met a lot of new people during this time and like provide your insight. But I'm sure that's also like ex- exhausting to a certain extent. Yeah, I'm just working. My thing is me networking is doing something that y'all want. And it's like, I'm like, here you go. Here's exercise snacks. Like that's me networking. That's me fulfilling a need. Networking is, I don't think, work on yourself during this time during 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 COVID and COVID. One hundred percent. But if you do need a network, I'm telling you, look up organizations. Look up, get go reconnect with college friends. Look at what your college is doing. Look at what community organizations are doing. You'll never know who you who you who you'll meet. Like the world is much bigger than the digital world. I think now. You'd be surprised who you meet at volunteer organizations. You'd be surprised who you, you know, meet out on the street. I think people are a little bit more willing to talk and just don't get too close. But yeah, I think networking is really delving into the overlooked ecosystems in which you're a part of. How do you measure your success? How much time I free up, how many people I help, how much of a safety net I have in terms of longitudinal reach. My success has increased. I mean, I've lucky been able to make more money, but I've also be, been more comfortable in a sense of I now have a longer window to work on projects because I have worked hard enough that people believe in me for a longer period of time instead of just simple slight one-off agreement. Do you think that's changed in 2020, like your perception of your success? No. I think everybody else was shaking up, but I always thought the world was kind of fucked up, to be honest. And I was just kind of like, why is everybody just going about their life like this? But yeah, I mean, success should be- You're making me feel like a bad person. <laughs> nah, nah, sometimes you just got to be woken up in different ways. That's yeah, true. It's true. Um, it's true. My, my definition's changed a lot. What's yours? I think I've lived in like a lot of chaos and I think a lot of people have. Like I'm a very fast paced person. I like a lot of things and I like constantly being busy. And I think I've like, this time's made me realize that like it actually is what you just said. It's about how much time you free up to- take care of the people around you and take care of other communities around you. And I think I always thought it was the opposite. It's, it's definitely changed this year. Yeah. If I could, if I could retire by 45, 40, between 40 and 45. I hate when you say this. I, I do not want, I, it's, that is my measure of success. How soon could I get out the game by having some level of financial comfort and mental health? I have no desire to be working past 45 and I have no plans. You just have the ability to help so many people that it like kind of fucks me up inside. That's not work. That's just like, that's not work. I'll always be helping. That's my life internship, but I won't be, I won't be working. All right, fine. This was my favorite question. And I think we've actually, we might've talked about this on the show already. How are you balancing fighting back this horrible time with cultivating joy and staying sane? Yeah. I mean, someday, I mean, the past 36 hours were a little hard for me. I was a little tired. My mind was a little messed up. I mean, you just got to, Sometimes you just got like, this will pass and kind of relish in it. So it's like not trying to force joy. But also I think it goes back to process, like joy, happiness, all that stuff is also a result of process. It's also a result of like human, a response, I think, to proper human habits that we all can set up. 
for most of us. Now, some of us do have deeper rooted issues, which is fine. But like cultivating joy isn't like you invite joy in. I don't think you like go and run and search for it. It just kind of knocks at the door. And I think when you're ready, you're set up again, the process of the home for it. It's, it's cool. It may already be there, but there's other shit that's around. It's too crowded. It's too clustered. Your mind's everywhere else. You don't notice it. It's like when you, it's like when you get that real nice piece of furniture and you're like, oh, this will bring me joy. And you put it in the crib, but it doesn't bring you joy because it doesn't match up with the, everything else that's there. So it's figuring out the process, I think, that will shine light a little bit on hopefully joy. I'm trying to call my mom. I'm trying to talk to my loved ones a little bit. I'm trying to, you know, talk to myself. I'm, I'm still moving. You know, I'm working out, trying to, you know, eating well and trying to be curious, trying to go see new things. And sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, just went to the MoMA, spread my wings a little bit. I wasn't entirely, you know, blown away or anything, but I I guess I respect art, not because of what it produces, but that somebody spends time on a process. I'm fascinated by process, not really the art. A lot of the art is like, I don't get why people like this stuff, but I'm fascinated by people's process. So like reading about the art is actually more interesting to me than the art. It's curiosity to me. I want to be curious. I want to be a tourist in my mind. I want to be a tourist in my city. I want to be a tourist. Uh, I want to just continue to discover like who Joe Holder is. And, and, and I think that's what brings me a little bit of joy. I love that. Yeah, I do love that. I mean, you're happy. <laughs> I don't know. It's cool. It's a cool way to think about life, honestly, is to never be attached. Not like to not be attached to things, but like being a tourist in your own mind is so much about like just exploring every like nook and cranny of it and not just thinking that you're finished. Ever. Ever. What would Joe recommend for preserving bone health, especially for people who are vegan? Wow. Um, I mean, you typically look at, I guess, vitamins and nutrients that are uh, lacking in vegan diets. That's simply like zinc, sometimes calcium, vitamin D, B12, making sure you're getting that because those typically found in animal-rich foods. Medium impact exercise, jump ropes, jump, and, and connecting that with, say, like vitamin C. I don't know if you, it depends on the supplements that you take. I don't know. Some vegans say collagen, others don't. Basically, rebounding exercises that you cup, then you couple with very nutri- with foods that are nutrient dense and beneficial for your bone health. So, say you know vitamin C rich foods, say some calcium rich foods. I think basically six minutes, six to ten minutes of jump roping every morning would do uh, some wonders for your bone health because basically you, your body has a process of remodeling. So when a stimulus is introduced and the body realizes that there's shock, oh, I have to rebuild. So if you give yourself the proper nutrients to rebuild. That helps stimulate bone health. So that's why weight-bearing exercises are super important. And then the nutrients are typically looking at zinc, vitamin D, calcium, magnesium, maybe a little bit of copper in there, um, vitamin B12, and B-complex is important. Speaking of vitamins, I want to circle back on what we were talking about earlier because I did get the question of someone being very concerned about COVID winter coming up, having to be inside. Um, It is coming. Any tips that you have for general well-being while being inside, vitamins, practices, anything along those lines that can help us as we all have to probably migrate inside again in the winter months. Focus on hygiene, but not excessive cleanliness. So I would say, especially if you're going to be spending more time inside, don't uh, mess with your biome in certain ways. So basically right now, if it's still warm, go play in the dirt, go find some dirt, go into parks, go expose yourself to nature and germs. You're going to need that. Your immune system needs that. Uh, just don't expose yourself to COVID, which is basically like crowded areas with people who you don't know. But still expose you. There's a symbiosis between germs and humans. Like you need that. Get sun while you can. When you're inside, basically, the easiest one 
supplements are vitamin D, zinc, and vitamin C. Try to take at least a thousand milligrams of vitamin C a day. Zinc, I've, the upper limit's 40 milligrams. I would say 20 milligrams or so. Of course, check with your doctor if you have any pre existing conditions or, or medications. Uh, 20 milligrams of zinc. Vitamin D, probably 4,000 I use a day. And those are super easy things, but you got to exercise. You got to make sure you eat well. You got to hydrate. Take a warm bath every now and then, a little bit of heat stress if you can, hot, cold showers, getting your body used to different stressors, and then cold showers a little bit, just because, especially if you're in a place that's transitioning to cold, basically, if you're transitioning to cold as it starts to get colder, just take a week or two weeks of cold showers. And then as it starts to get colder as well, don't bundle up immediately. I know this sounds weird, but it's this thought process of a light stress that you implement that connects to the weather as the weather changes. Don't bundle up immediately, okay? Get used to your body being exposed. This is what I did, especially when I was in Iceland. Get used to your body exposed to that first. So maybe a light sweater. And, you know, go out for your morning walk when it's a little bit chilly but not too cold. 20 minutes. Go for a 20-minute walk. Expose yourself to the elements. Maybe have a long sleeve shirt, a short sleeve shirt, um, instead of a heavy sweater or jacket at first. And then get used to that. As it gets colder, put on a little bit more layers, but still expose yourself a little bit. Just for a little bit, you know, try this for a week or two, especially as the season changes. And then when it changes again, expose yourself again. This will be very important to build your tolerance as it connects to the weather changes. We often don't think about this, but the body needs to adapt to weather changes. Yeah, and temperature changes. So, Um, um, Well, it's literally 100 degrees on September 30th in Los Angeles right now. So Insane. It's not what it's like. It's not normal. So I'll be in no sweaters of any sort. Thank you guys for submitting those questions. Thank you to Joe for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next month. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Bs. See you next week.